Hello and welcome to the Royal College of Speech and Language Therapists news podcast for July 2022. I'm Vicky Harris and today I'll be chatting with Derek Munn, the RCSLT's Director of Policy and Public Affairs, to discuss the ways in which politics and public affairs are impacting on speech and language therapy. But I'm also really pleased to announce a special guest, Judith Broll, the Director of Professional Development at the RCSLT, who's going to be joining us to talk about growing and developing the future profession. Good morning. Hello. Hi, everybody. So there's a, there's a lot going on in Parliament at the moment. Um, obviously, the UK Parliament is going into recess next week, um, but I expect there'll still be a huge amount of stuff going on behind the scenes. Derek, I expect it's the same for you and your team over the summer. What are the big areas for you at the moment? Well, there's um, just a bit of political activity at the moment, um, which obviously for people who are interested in politics, it's um, on one level, it's it's a great soap opera, but it does have real world implications. It obviously has real world implications as to who the next prime minister is going to be, but it also impacts on the work of the Royal College. You know, we had spent six months developing a relationship um, with the then children's minister, we had a one-on-one meeting with the children's minister set for this week, and then he resigned. Now, in the course of the week, he was reappointed elsewhere, but, you know, we've been waiting several months for a meeting with the rehabilitation minister. She's cancelled that several times. We don't know what happens. I'll talk later about a workforce review that Sajid Javid had personally commissioned. So there are real-world implications to all the political goings-on. That said, the... The business as usual that continues does include a lot of what the civil service do in the way of consultation and development. And in that area, we are, again, talking about UK, mainly England, for the the purposes of this. The special educational needs and disability, the SEND reform consultation, which many people will be aware of, we're about to put in our response to that uh, and work very closely. Very pleased that we've co-produced it not only with members, but also with parents and young people to come up with an agreed position on the SEND reforms. Um, We've submitted to the big review of the government's 10-year mental health strategy, but also within that, they have now published their draft bill for the reform of mental health legislation. Some of the very welcome things that were in the discussion document are not immediately apparent in the draft bill. So we need to go back and say, hold on, what happened to these good things that you promised us? And there'll be what's called pre-legislative scrutiny of that draft bill all the way through to December. So we need to work out our input into that. And we've been very active in the House of Lords around the schools bill, which is um, reforming. There's a focus on standards of English and maths, and there's a focus on... um, the expansion of parental choice and so on. But we've got particular focus on the way that language underlies these things. And we've managed to bring together a coalition of 40 organisations to support amendments that we put down in the House of Lords. So that's some of what's been going on at the same time as the soap opera. It sounds like you're very busy. And also, um, carrying on with you, Derek, you mentioned in last month's podcast about the integrated care systems in, in England. I wonder if there's been any movement on that at all since we last spoke. Yeah, I mean, in the jargon, you so for those who care, you have a bill while it's in Parliament. When the Queen says it's OK, what's called royal assent, it becomes an act. But even when something is an act, 
it doesn't take effect until in the jargon it's been commenced. So the Health and Care Act 2022, which um, we spent so much of last year working on, is being commenced in sections. The first bit that was commenced in May was to formally change the name of NHS England to NHS England, because up until then it's its Sunday name had been the NHS Commissioning Board. Um, what's been commenced this month, July, is putting integrated care systems onto a statutory footing. So members will see around the country the notification that there's been another reorganisation, that CCGs have been formally abolished and so on. Um, alongside that, we're continuing, whenever I, you know, I've become obsessed with it, whenever I'm talking to members, the new alphabet soup of the Integrated Care Board, the Integrated Care Partnership, the Integrated Care Strategy, the AHP Lead, the AHP Council, the AHP Faculty. Of course, it's confusing, but it's essential. So there's two resources on the website. One is a short primer for every speech and language therapist in England about what these different things mean and why they matter. And the second is a document for you to give to the AHP lead in your trust or setting, which shows how speech and language therapy fits with this year's planning priorities. So they'll both be on the website. Please look at both of those. Members are talking to us about the importance of regional AHP structures as well, and also what are called provider collaboratives. Um, and we're alive to that, and we're raising that in the system too. The other aspect of the new things, which has probably got not got as much attention, is the changes it means to commissioning, where things that were previously specialist commissioned by NHS England are coming down to integrated care systems. And this affects things like complex AAC, complex neuro rehab, it affects cleft, um, it will affect gender identity. So there's a whole bundle around commissioning as well, which, can, which is going to be part of this. Um, we are looking right now for members with appropriate experience and skills to work with us on a consultancy basis about developing resources and facilitating peer-to-peer -peer support. So again, please take a look at the website if you think you've got some time to offer on a paid basis to help us with the, the networking and resource around all of this. Great. Thank you, Derek. I will make sure that in the show notes for this, I point people in the right direction for those documents help people with that alphabet soup. Last month, we had also talked about the big focus on recovery and recruitment post-COVID. I wonder, Judith, if I could bring you in on that, please. Um, I know that there are plans to increase the number of universities that are offering speech and language therapy courses and some exciting apprenticeship news, and uh, which will obviously help with that pipeline of people coming into the profession. Can you expand on that, please, and what the plans are, please? Thank you, Vicky. Yes, there is a lot going on um, pre-registration, and I think that is really important. I think we, we have known for a long time that there are not enough speech and language therapists in the system, and we're really trying to get under the hood in separate bits of work to understand where everybody's gone, because I know that there are real vacancy issues um, going on at the moment for everybody for that for which we are very minded and sighted, um, and we are doing our best behind the scenes to try and understand that and support everybody on the front line. But in the meantime, there are a there is a real interest across England and Northern Ireland in particular about having new and increased places on pre-registration courses and new courses coming on stream. So we are supporting higher education institutes 
to really understand what their role is, how we will ensure that they are of, of high standard, these training courses, and that they are managed to fulfill the new accreditation process with HCPC, which is also changing at the same time. So there's a lot of moving parts, but there's a lot of courses starting up, which I think will be of real value. And as part of that, we're also working very closely with the HEIs and looking at the curriculum to see that it is future proofed, to make sure that we are getting the right contents into all of these um, courses, to make sure that the people that come out into the workforce are ready to go in this 21st century. I think at the same time, we are very excited that an apprenticeship course is starting up um, at Essex. And then there's another one starting up at BCU in January. And I know there are other HIs who are also looking into starting their own apprenticeship courses. I think this is a really exciting new way of delivering a varied workforce and an expanded workforce. And that is the way of training speech and language therapists in a different way so they are paid while they are training. I think one thing of note for colleagues is this is absolutely an employer-led model. So going back to what you were saying, Derek, about ICSs, if there is a cohort of need for apprenticeships, say, across an ICS footprint, this is a really good opportunity to start thinking creatively about how to deliver workforce differently and to start training your own within an ICS, for example, and beyond. The other piece of work is that there has been a lot of work around support workers. And this is they are such a huge and valuable um, contribution to the way we deliver therapy and care to all our service users. There has been an AHP support worker framework out for a while. And there has been an internal piece of work to around a speech and language therapy version of that AHP uh, framework. That is just live on the website. It is un, it is not under support workers, but we are looking to see how we can make signposting easier on the website for everybody. At the moment, um, we are working very closely with the author group to see how we can just streamline it all. But again, I think what it does is really acknowledge the skills and the contribution that this, um, this workforce offers and will continue to in the future. Great. Thank you, Judith. And just to flag up that I have been working with that author group on um, planning a podcast about the support worker framework and the importance of support workers for for early autumn. So uh, watch this space for a podcast on that. Brilliant. Thank you. Okay, so carrying on with workforce, because it's such a big theme um, on the RCSLT agenda and in health and social care right now. I wonder, Judith, if you could walk us through some of the workforce transformation pieces we're involved in and explain a bit more about that. Workforce transformation is sort of, it's really difficult words, isn't it? Because what does it actually mean on the ground? And, and I think we need to be really clear that we are cutting it up into bite-sized chunks. So we're not, what we are not asking is to, for you to, in your day job, to, to transform everything. But this is a huge piece of work where really from Health Education England, but I would suggest right across all nations, We need to have a look, and we being the whole AHP family, need to look and see how we are delivering care. We know there aren't enough clinicians and we know that demand is rising. I think the challenge has increased since COVID. We are really sighted on the huge challenges that you out in the real world, if you like, in the working world have against um, uh, uh, all sorts of backlog and how we're going to manage that. And I think what we're trying to do at RCSLT is to work out the best mechanism to support and offer new, different and alternative ways of working to help deliver 
good high quality care, as well as make sure that the workforce who are really the core front and centre of who we are, don't fall over and are actually supported in, in how we can do this. So I think if we remodel the words of workforce transformation into thinking differently and, and agilely, if you like, about how we can do this, it might be of use, but please ignore it if it don't. Health Education England has really given us two pots of money. First of all, I need to say that we have made it really clear that any work that we generate is for all four nations, not just for England. And HEE are absolutely cited on this, which I think is is really positive. The first piece, which I'm hoping people will be very cited on, is the EDS, Eating, Drinking and Swallowing pre-registration training. That is now coming forward and we are seeing the HEI starting to deliver that against the curriculum and uh, PEs, uh, practice educators, are starting delivering those placements out in the real life world. This is going to really help look at a patient in a holistic way. That We are saying that we are an organisation who leads on communication and eating, drinking and swallowing. So we need to make sure that our workforce is trained up to be able to deliver that from the time they arrive as a newly qualified practitioner. So that piece of work is ongoing. A big piece of work has just been um is about to be completed around a simulation training piece to help support that training in the interim section. And that is hopefully going live in September, October time. The other piece of work is the Workforce Transformation Project. Each professional body has been allocated a chunk of money to deliver some workforce transformation. The strapline again is around to deliver a 21st century uh, future-proofed AHP workforce. There are some generic pieces of work in that for all AHPs, that, which means that we have to work across our professional bodies, which I think is really positive. Some of that is stuff, for example, like preceptorship, um, international recruitment. But then we've got some really specific pieces of work which we have been charged to deliver. There is a project team and we would love you to get involved. So please do look out on the pages. And again, Vicky, I'll ask you to add some pages and signpost colleagues onto that to have a look and see. There is a large, huge bits of work around that. For example, we are doing a lot of work around mapping the speech and language therapist working in education. We're thinking about uh, clinical academic roles and how we can support that within the profession doing quite a lot around neonatal care, probably in the community and dysphagia training in that space. There's also a lot of work around um, the biggest piece is around something which will change its name around the career and capabilities framework to ensure that we can support members and clinicians to move through their career and to showcase options for them within their career. We need to put together a framework so people can really map where they are and where they would like to go and what the alternative options are. I think, as we know, we get a lot of attrition rates when people have been in the in the system for a while and then are not sure where to go in their career. We're hoping that this framework will help open up opportunities and training opportunities for people so we can keep more people with skills and speech and language therapists right across all specialisms. So that work is ongoing. And again, there is lots of work, um, lots of opportunities to get engaged with the next process of that. I think the other piece of work is that we know COVID hasn't gone away. And we know that there is still impact of COVID, not only on the health and well-being of the speech and language therapy uh, members and also colleagues, but also on the number of people still coming through and the impact of long COVID on, on, on how we can then deliver um, support and care to those people. 
We have a COVID role within the organisation um, and that is um, led by Emma Weber. And again, we will give you contact details of her if you'd like to get involved with any of the multifarious pieces of work she's involved with. COVID is still very live. There is a huge amount of research going on um, into COVID and we are really involved with those bits of work. For example, locomotion um, and uh, there's other bits of work. I can't remember the name of them. Apologies. And we are having people involved with that, members involved with that, but we are looking for more. So if you would like to get involved with that, please do contact us and Emma in particular. We are recruiting to a working group and a wider reference group. So please keep your eyes peeled for an application form. So please do get involved with that. And we're working with Sophie Chalmers, who's going to set up a peer support session in September. I know we've already had one that Sophie ran very well. I think there's real need and interest in supporting each other in this new and innovative way of working. We're also speaking to our colleagues at ARCOT and the RCGP on how we can work more closely to support members with long COVID. And I think that's really important as well. So it's not only supporting um, service users, but also supporting clinicians who we know are, are really suffering under that. I think the last piece to say is that we we understand that, that placements is something that we are always supporting you and doing. And we are trying to lead by example, and we are considering at RCSLT running some leadership placements. We have also been running some healthcare placements internally. But I think it's something we would really encourage any clinician to to come to, to do, to do lots of placements. I know it's hard work, but I think with the EDS work as well, please do do that. And we're also leading by example by uh, thinking about some leadership and some research placements in-house. I could go on, but I'm going to hand back to Vicky for now. Thanks. Um, I wonder if you've got anything to add on workforce, Derek. I'm, I'm sure you have. Uh, just briefly, uh, building on what Judith has said, you know, we know about the challenges that people have across the whole of the UK around recruitment at the moment to vacancies. So we are doing um, quick work to try and understand more about the current recruitment challenges and the reasons for vacancies and attrition. Um, so if you see surveys around that, please do take part if you can. Um, yet another workforce review from HEE. And I mentioned the real world impact of the government changes earlier on. Sajid Javid had been criticised a lot um, around the Health and Care Act for not having effective workforce planning in place. He'd responded by saying that he was personally going to do a yet another workforce review. With him no longer being Health Secretary, we're just not sure where that stands. Um, we've talked a lot about England today, just to say that the issue of increasing courses and the size of the profession is a, well, it's a challenge in Wales, but it's a particular challenge in Scotland, and we're taking proactive steps on the pipeline and the input into the profession in Scotland. And that, although Northern, Northern Ireland haven't had a government for ages, they're, they're used to this, but Northern Ireland do still have a kind of workforce transformation review of sorts, and we're, we're on top of that as well. Great, thank you. Okay, so we've covered some big topics. I wonder, is there anything else you need to tell us about? Oh, I ha always have a long list of things. Mm -hmm. but I think what I, I think because there is so much work going on, there's a whole load of guidance that's starting up, which will be really important to to land for for members, especially around dementia, autism, learning disabilities. The list goes on. Um, but I think if you're interested in getting involved with any of these bits of work or interested where they are, please contact me. And again, we'll put my email address in the chat. I think the other thing just to say is I'm very excited that we are 
recruiting to, at the moment, a post to support us with the SENS. Now, the SENS, as we know, are the lifeblood of the profession. And I think what we'd like to do is to understand how we can align what the work that you, the SENS do on the ground with the work that we do in-house at RCSLT. So we are recruiting to the post at the moment. And I think once we have more information about that, we will come back to you at a separate time. But I think that's a really positive um, step forward to, to how we can align, how we can work together in, and, and to deliver and evaluate these uh, the guidances that we are working so hard on in-house. There's, I think something just to really celebrate is that we all know that outcomes are becoming much more important and we're becoming a much more data-driven profession, as is the whole of the NHS. And recently there was an outcomes um, event and a research champions event. And I think what was really encouraging is that there was great uptake of them, but also we had real interest from professions outside RCSLT. The uh, recordings are online or will be shortly. Please do have a look at them because they're, or listen to them even. I think they're really interesting, really valuable and will be really useful to sort of take forward into your, into your daily work, I'm, I'm sure. The other thing just to say is that we know we're working very hard as a profession as, um, around diverse populations. And just to remind you, there is new guidance out addressing health inequalities with a really useful, easy use um, audit tool, which can promote improvement and innovation within services, which I know we've had very good feedback about. But I think we also this is a really nice opportunity just to share again with, with everybody. I think there's a lot of work going on around research. Just the final thing to say on that is that the there was the IJLCD annual lecture a few weeks ago, um, focusing on building on the legacy of Professor James Law OBE with New Horizons in Developmental Language Disorders. And I think, of course, it was a great tribute to, to the late James Law, who, who we sadly lost earlier this year, and his fantastic impact on the profession. But again, I think it really does set out that the direction of travel of where we can go and the research that is available within this really important space. And again, the webinar um, is on our website and the YouTube channel is, will be up and running as soon as we can. I could go in other directions, but I think I'll, I'll pause there. So we've covered a lot of ground today, but I wonder, uh, Derek, if, if we can end with, what has RCSLT got to feel proud about this month? Okay, nothing. I think nothing contrived about the link at all, Ricky. Mm-hmm. We, um, yes, we, we've been working for a while with the, the Pride Network of LGBTQ plus um, SLTs. A couple of things have happened this month. One is that alongside the Pride Network, which is voluntary, we do now have a formal working group of the Royal College to work around um, any resource or needs specifically around sexual orientation for um, LGBTQ plus members. And then allied to that, we were proud for the very first time to have an RCSLT presence on the London Pride March with um, banners and with uh, everything else. Um, so uh, people may have seen it on social media. It went extremely well. And we look forward to continuing working that space going forward. Thank you. And what a, a lovely, lovely place to end on. Thank you so much, um, Judith and Derek. Uh, and I look forward to Derek to catching up again in August. Mm-hmm.